It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. This episode of Wag the Dug is brought to you by Summerworks. Over 400 artists come together in the heart of Queen West for SummerWorks Performance Festival, which runs this year from August 8th to 18th. It's recognized as one of Canada's most vital launch pads for new performance work. There are over 30 projects, workshops, parties, and free events. Tickets are on sale now at summerworks.ca. Allison Smith here. Jonathan Goldsby here. We recorded a live podcast a few weeks ago at the Toronto Outdoor Art Fair, and... And it was outdoors. It was outdoors. So uh, we and our producer and the Art Fair staff and the City of Toronto staff... At and a Nathan lovely Volk audience. Square, um, ...all did a you know, really good job putting on a, a really wonderful show with getting all the technical setup and all the equipment. We were in a metal shipping container. Uh, the audience was under a nice tent. Everything seemed to be going pretty well, actually. And then something unexpected happened. And sadly, it was not a, a walk-on cameo from Doug Ford himself saying, you know nothing of my work. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. I'm the news editor of Canada Land, and I have a Rob Ford watercolor on my wall at home that I won in a 
Rob Ford Trivia Night in June 2013 when I was on a team of ringers composed of people who, like myself, were journalists who covered Rob Ford at Toronto City Hall. I'm Allison Smith, the publisher of Queen's Park Today, although at one time I was very briefly enrolled in an undergraduate visual arts program. Instead, I've been a political journalist for nine years and spent the last 18 months covering Doug Ford. And this is Wag the Doug, a pop-up podcast about Doug Ford popping up now at the Toronto Outdoor Art Fair, which has less free food and drink than Ford Fest, but pleasantly more public washrooms. So we're going to be talking today about the state of arts and culture funding and programming under the Ford government. It's something that they have, as we'll discuss, uh, cut a lot of initiatives and, and cash for this, but it's sort of gone a lot more under the radar than some of their other more public uh, debacles or scandals or cuts. And we'll also be welcoming Jill Andrew, who is the um, MPP for uh, Toronto St. Paul, Midtown Toronto, and the Ontario NDP's culture critic. Yes. Thanks, Jill, for coming. And we're going to end the show by trying to figure out exactly what art Doug Ford actually does like. So on that note, to get this started, we wanted to do a bit of an audience survey to see what you guys know or what you think you know about the the art that Doug Ford likes. So I'm going to ask a question, and there's going to be five possible answers. I'll read them out, and if you think that this is the right answer, we want you to applaud, okay? So the question is, what artistic theme has Doug Ford claimed that he has an art collection related to? So what... What type of art, theme of art, has, does Doug Ford collect, according to himself? The first option, dogs playing poker. Can you applause? Applause no. if you think it's dogs playing poker. Okay. Rob Ford's mayoral term. No, that's Goldsby's collection. Yep. <laughs> uh, the U.S. Civil War. Okay. The Sopranos. Uh, statues of naked, anatomically correct baboons. Okay, the correct response was the U.S. Civil War. Yes. But, yeah, but for those of you who clap for baboons, um, you, you're almost right. So Doug Ford, the premier, doesn't have any of those, so far as we know. But his father, the late Doug Ford Sr., does have a collection of animal statuary, including a naked, anatomically correct baboon, which... Once you say that, you kind of realize that's still much less weird than if it were a clothed baboon. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay, great. So let's start just actually talking about, you know, the policies, the funding, the money, all of the, you know, real sort of facts of where we're at one year into this term. So the cultural sector support is down 60 million uh, from about 295 million to 235 million. Specifically, art sector support has been cut from 18.5 million to 6.5 million. You know, that's two thirds. The Ministry of Tourism, Culture and Sport is budget has been cut by $100 million since 2017-2018 levels. And the Ontario Arts Council is receiving $10 million less this year than it did in past years, including a $5 million cut that is eliminating the Indigenous, what is exact, Indigenous Culture Culture Fund, yes. Uh, Yep. And there's more. So, And the Ontario Music Fund, which helps record labels put on concerts and tours, has been cut in half. 
So that affects uh, small record labels and bands, uh, something like arts and crafts uh, that brings up local small musicians. They're getting about half the funding they used to. Again, we, ha we don't really know the impacts of this yet, but we can assume that it's you know, going to be hurting these small, small businesses. Yeah, I'm Christy Belcourt, a uh, well-known Matisse artist who has a really well-loved painting in the AGO's permanent collection, which, although apparently it's not on display right now, uh, she actually had a really wonderful thread uh, on Twitter last December mm -hmm. explaining both the economics and value of arts grants. And, I mean, just to read some of... Uh, some of the observations she made, you know, as someone who is a an indigenous artist who is, you know, fairly established mid-career. Today, I employ and pay. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to swear her shit, a lot of taxes, and donate to hundreds of social justice causes and donate my time as well. Arts grants build careers, but they also help to rebuild communities, particularly for indigenous communities who have been devastated and practically decimated by Canada. And the money they receive, you know, we receive goes back straight back into the economy. This is an important point often missed by those who dismiss arts grants as something frivolous. Where does the money go when a person or a collective receives arts grants? To Canadian-based suppliers and retailers? To Canadian-based businesses, landlords, or utilities? Shout uh, out to the landlords, right? <laughs> and arts grants go right back into the Canadian economy. And more than that, they help to build careers and they build communities of independence for, for Indigenous people. They help to build back ourselves and our health. So when Ford Nation, she wrote, cut the Indigenous Culture Fund, you hear the Canadian economy. He's actually saying that Canadian businesses don't matter and that he doesn't want to see Indigenous people independent, thriving or healthy. And perhaps that's the point. So why, why is this happening? I mean, uh, if you ask the PCs, what they're going to say is that Ontario has an $11.7 billion deficit and we need to you know, cut spending on things that don't bolster the economy, that don't support healthcare, that don't support education, things that, you know, where they see there's possible you know, gaps and savings can be found. And it seems like Doug Ford in particular uh, and his ministers on this file, of which there's been three in 12 months. So that kind of goes to show that they're not really committed, I would say, to to this. Um, so there's a tension between governments supporting art for various economic reasons, right? Bolstering the community, like a, something like this, or bolstering careers so that you know you can build your art into a practice, into something that generates money, into something that generates taxes and is good for the economy and is it raining? Okay. It is raining. <laughs> oh no. Uh, we can't blame Doug Ford for that, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but then also the intrinsic, you know, intrinsic value of art, which is why I'm sure a lot of you are here. Art brings people together. It allows communities to connect. And it's, that is just, you know, that's such a, an important part of it that it isn't necessarily in government's need to promote, but at least probably to recognize that exists, you know, that art is there for a purpose beyond the economy uh, would be nice. And, I, and I'm not sure that that's where the Ford government is right now. In preparing for this event, one of the things I've kept coming back to and kept thinking about was a comment that Irene Sankoff made on Facebook a couple months ago. Irene Sankoff is one of the two creators of Come From Away. She and her husband, David Hine, co-wrote the book, Music and Lyrics, for the show, which is 
arguably the, I mean, it is the first great Canadian musical, although I imagine Anne of Green Gables has its fans. Um, in any case, um, one of the things she said around back when it came out a couple months ago that one of the classes that was being cut from a number of Ontario high schools due to budget cuts was writer's craft. And basically she said, yet again, I'm reminded that I would not have thrived in the Ontario that is being created. So I sent her an email asking, you know, could you elaborate on that? Late last night, uh, she sent me an email from New York, where they live now, and uh, I'll just read it because I think it's pretty good. (laughs) The short story is that without social assistance, subsidized daycare, universal health care, great public schools with drama teachers and creative writing courses, and government grants for artists, come from a way could never have happened. I went to a public arts high school that had students who majored in the arts, but also a wonderful array of classes for all students. And the creative writing courses we both took, we being her and her husband, were integral to our growth as writers. With Ontario's health care, I always knew that if I or any one of my family got sick, things would be tough, but they would most likely be okay. I needed OSAP to attend university. I received government grants. Throughout this all, I worked with my nephew, who is on the autism spectrum and was supported by many programs in the province for children like him. He is now a young man and continues to need support from his community. Perhaps most significantly, after our daughter was born, we were able to stay in the hospital not once but twice within her first month of life without worrying about the cost sinking us. I met my oldest friend and two moms at an Ontario Early Years Centre program and a woman eventually interviewed for Come From Away at a government-sponsored Life With A Baby class. We spent hours at the library reading, researching, playing, attending even more government-supported classes. And as starving artists, we received immensely subsidized daycare. Everything in that previous paragraph was during the initial development of Come From Away. The show simply would not exist without all the support of the Ontario province. So I guess the point there is that government grants for the arts are one important piece of this, but another important piece of what the province is doing or you know, what it's pulling back on, depending on its leadership, is all of these other pieces, too, mm. that do support artists that are trying to Mm. create the work that we love. Exactly. We're going to welcome Jill Andrew to the stage now. Yay! So Jill Andrew is the MPP for Toronto St. Paul's and the Ontario NDP's culture and arts and tourism and sport critic. Jill is also a co-owner of Glad Day Bookshop, the world's oldest LGBTQ bookstore that's still in business. She's a co-founder of Body Confidence Canada, where she raises awareness of the fashion industry's problems with racism, gender, and sizeism through a feminist fat studies lens. The Toronto Sun's Sue Ann Levy, who lives in her riding, has often described that as though it's a bad thing. Uh, and Levy has also called Andrew the NDP's official Midtown Nut Bar, which any reasonable person would take as a great compliment coming from Levy. Um, and according to the bio on her, your website, you credit music and theater education in your youth with helping you find your voice. That is true. Thank you very, very much for having me here. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm glad to see that we've got a packed house to talk arts. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jill, the first question we wanted to ask you is, can you talk about your personal relationship with the arts? Because it sounds like you absolutely have one. I do, actually. Um, I took uh, piano lessons for many years with the Royal Conservatory of Music. 
this was something that helped increase my memory. It helped increase my skills in STEM subjects. I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but uh, it certainly made me uh, a stronger, competitive student, quite frankly. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that I try to share in the legislature. You know, when we have a government that seems to privilege uh, math, science, technology over the arts, we need to demonstrate that the arts are as important. In fact, the arts help amplify science, technology, and engineering, and all of these other uh, sectors that seem to, to get more coverage. Uh, or more interest uh, with the government. Um, I also uh, received a grant from Ontario Arts Council years back from the uh, Writers Reserve Program, and I'm glad to report that you know next year uh, our book is going to be published oh, with cool. Demeter Press. Uh, it's an anthology on uh, fat embodiment and identity, and uh, pretty much our lived experiences through our skin. You know, as a kid in high school uh, who was often bullied. Theater spaces, vocal class, this is where I found my voice. This is where I thrived. Uh, this is where I was told that I belonged and I was good enough just the way I am. And uh, we have a government now uh, that sees these as frills. But it's important to know that this isn't just Doug Ford we're talking about. If we look back at the Mike Harris government, you know, I, I think I was just graduated high school at that point. You know, the arts were seen as a frill there too. You know, we are fighting hard and, you know, partnering with community to ensure uh, that the arts and that the culture sector is fought for and, and that we try to get the funds we need. And that's why I've tabled uh, motions demanding that the government reinstate the funding to some of the very programs that you all mentioned at the top of the hour. In the few times we've seen people, we've seen the Ford government back down on things, even partway, it's been when people have organized, uh, whether it's been like you know, education, autism funding, healthcare. Why do you feel that the, the public arts cuts have failed to gain the same larger critical mass or public momentum and to actually be able to have that, present that opposition? Um, like other than, I guess, with the interlibrary loan service, which is something that they cut and restored. It's a program where outside of large municipalities, uh, libraries can sort of share their collection from one place to another. Other than that, why do you think it hasn't really caught on with the public in the same way or cited the same degree of anger? You know, I, I don't think that it hasn't incited the same degree of anger because, frankly, uh, when I speak to artists or art workers or uh, people in education who are arts educators, they are gosh darn angry at the cuts. And uh, I absolutely see a future where we're going to have similar organizing. You know, we have to change uh, the ideology of the Ford government. They think that the arts are a place to find efficiencies. They are not. Uh, I would say that there's a health component to having arts and having culture that's rich and diverse, but there's also an economic component. Like we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, I think it's 27.5 billion of Ontario's GDP. You know, we're talking about 287,000 jobs. And if Doug Ford so-called cares about jobs, he has to recognize that if he cuts funding to arts and culture, what you're actually doing is taking away opportunities, job opportunities, uh, business, entrepreneurial opportunities. Well, in that same vein, uh, so as we said, the, the ministries had three different ministers since it yes. started, uh, yes. since the Ford government took office last summer. So one of them was, was Minister Mike Tibolo. He said, 
prioritizing things that are really important, like education, healthcare, ending the hallway medicine. These are some of the issues we have to deal with that are critical to the wants of the people of the province. I'm quite aware of the importance of the arts, but I think we have to first make sure that we do what matters most to the people that get control of the fiscal economy. Oh, boy. I, I hope these are I waterproof. Tell you. Let's find out. Are these waterproof? <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> so, okay. So I don't know if anyone's going to be able to hear us. Are you all able to hear us? Okay. Okay, we're going to keep no. going. The show must go us? on. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. This is fun. Okay, so to, sorry, to rephrase my question to you, Jill, what do you say to the PC's argument that it's more important to reduce the deficit and spend money on, you know, high-priority areas than it is to, you know, invest in grants? Here's what I say. Every area that you've mentioned is important. I'm not going to sit here and, pr and, and, you know, play Olympics about what, which area is more important than the other. I just think, Holy as Ontarians... Should we, should we pause this now? Pardon me? I think we got to pause. Okay. Hey, severe thunderstorm warning. Missed that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay. So we're coming in. Can you grab the first side of the pedal? Yeah. So you might have just started hearing a little bit of rain there on the recording. What happened is the skies opened up on a hot, sunny Toronto afternoon and damn did it pour. Yeah, what was fun is that, I mean, we recovered, the audience was covered. We're like, okay, we can deal with some rain. Yeah, there was like going. a burst of energy. Everyone got really excited mm -hmm. and like united in the, the performance uh, um, on a precipice was, of disaster. It was great until it kept raining and then got rained more and more and harder and harder to a point that it turns out you can't safely be in a tent or let alone a metal shipping container in the middle of a lightning storm. And so we were evacuated. So that's fun. We all gathered under the awning of Toronto City Hall and waited it out. Which didn't take very long at all, actually. No, it was just a few minutes. It ended, and then we shuffled back and started again with Jill Andrew, who was wonderful and patient. <laughs> but as it turns out, there is only so much water that electronic equipment can take before it stops working as you hope it will work. So we're back. We've got fresh equipment. We've got a roof. We've got walls. We're here in the studio to finish our conversation about Doug Ford and the arts. And we have no audience but you. This episode is brought to you by SummerWorks. The SummerWorks Performance Festival brings 11 days of theater, dance, music, and live art to the heart of Queen West. Recognized as one of Canada's most vital launch pads for new performance work, this year's SummerWorks explores concepts of public, environmental crisis, and possible futures. The festival showcases over 400 artists from across Canada in 30 projects, workshops, parties, and late-night events. There are a bunch of things I'm looking forward to, but in particular, um, there's one show that is by Graham Isidore called White Heat, seemingly inspired by a story written by Mac Lamoureux, is about a journalist who uncovers the identity of an alt-right podcast host who is calling for violence against the media and then sort of has to grapple with what to do about that. Uh, and there's another show called Cliff Cardinal's CBC Special, which is his follow-up to the play Huff. Uh, you know, he's a uh, very prominent Canadian Indigenous performer. The show, in part, is about him laying claim to CBC identity. So these are things that are very up my alley, and I'm sure there is 
a lot more. Uh, the festival runs from August 8th to 18th. Tickets start at $15. They're on sale now. Head over to summerworks.ca to book your tickets and plan your summerworks. So the first thing we wanted to jump to is earlier in the show, we really established all of the cuts that Doug Ford had been making uh, and his government have made to the arts and culture sector. But we wanted to talk about what they actually are spending money on. The Ministry of Tourism Culture still has a large budget. It still has staff. Money's still flying around. But what is it mm. actually doing? So overall, the Ministry of Tourism, Culture and Sport spends over $600 million per year on media production tax credits. That is to say, taxpayer money that goes to production companies, including large ones, to incentivize them to film movies and TV shows here. So, you know, we get Star Trek Discovery and The Umbrella Academy and The Handmaid's Tale and, and the other show on Amazon that's like Umbrella Academy but isn't Umbrella Academy, but not the other newer Star Trek show. Also, Suits, which made international ripples when its star Meghan Markle met Prince Harry here in Toronto because Suits was filming here, partially in part of the tax credit. So mm-hmm. Ontario's taxpayers are to thank for that wedding and that baby Archie. Mm-hmm. If that hadn't happened, would anyone know that Suits has existed? Have you ever talked to anyone who's watched an episode from beginning to end? I've watched one episode from beginning to end. You're talking to someone who has. Oh, wow. So what this means is that the Ontario government hasn't changed how much it's giving away in these media production tax credits, and that's still 40% of the ministry's budget. Instead, they went after the Ontario Arts Council funding, which makes up 4% of the ministry's budget. That's about $60 million the Ontario Arts Council gets. Yeah, no, as Fords will often do, they will go after the small, easy targets, the ones that are more saleable, the ones that are considered more easily expendable rather than, you know, poke at big business. So the Ford government has also kind of trickled out some sort of small other policy initiatives in the tourism, arts and culture sector that they seem to want to put their stamp on. One of these being, we kind of touched on it in our budget episode very briefly, Mm, but it is mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. What do you suspect is the particular fascination with mixed martial arts? Well, Michael Tabolo, who was the tourism, culture, and sport minister up until the beginning of the summer, actually has a black belt in Taekwondo. He wanted to bring the province up to the level uh, and that other jurisdictions are in when it comes to the rules about combat sports, which, in, I mean, is fine. Like The province regulates lots of combat sports from things like boxing and karate to mixed martial arts, which more mm-hmm. are like of a performance, competitive, live show element. But yeah. if you want to box in Ontario in any like real capacity mm. that involves sparring, you have to do it in a regulated space. That um, sounds like a good thing. Yeah, no, it is. Otherwise, just people hitting each other, I would think. Well, and what I heard from someone who works at the ministry was that ex-premier Kathleen Wynne really does not like combat sports, different industry groups. I mean, the Mixed Martial Arts League, what are they called? UFC. UFC. They have been lobbying Canadian government since I started in politics or reporting on politics nine years ago. So this is Mm. not new that that industry does try to get in there and and have 
itself supported. Yeah, back a, I mean, back a couple months ago when Justin Bieber tweeted, I want to challenge Tom Cruise to fight in the octagon. Tom, if you don't take this fight, you're scared. You'll never live it down. Who's willing to put on the fight? Uh, Michael Taboo, then the Minister of Cult- Tourism, Culture and Sport, tweeted, I would pay to see this. Presumably because he believed that uh, a hypothetical event encompassed uh, tourism, culture, and sport. That's Justin Bieber fighting Tom Cruise? Justin Bieber wanted to fight Tom Cruise in the octagon. So mixed martial He basically wanted to have an MMA fight with Tom Cruise for whatever reason. I mean, that's not the most unappealing thought. Um, But uh, I was, yeah, but our our minister of culture was very, uh, endorsed it. Uh, so what else are they doing, Jonathan? They loosen restrictions on tailgating and public drinking, which is a type of culture. Yeah. Overall, since they took office last year, the Ministry of Tourism, Culture and Sport has not yet released or, as far as I know, even like open consultations on a culture strategy. What that would mean to the layman is basically governments want to put their mark on things, Right. They're shaking up the health file. They're making all these changes to education. It's pretty standard for a government to want to do something that it could be remembered for when it comes down the line um, for all of these files, including culture. For what we want to do. Exactly. So they have not done that at all for culture. They did launch consultations for a tourism strategy. But overall, the ministry is now on its third cabinet minister in 12 or 13 months. So as like this sort of, you know, pitters down the line, it's obvious that this ministry is really not living up to its potential, right? There's all these people that work there. I don't know what they're doing, but they're obviously not making any great achievements with these public sector salaries they're getting paid. If they're keeping things going, if they're keeping the lights on, if they're keeping art funded to the extent they can keep it funded, if they're I don't know. I guess well, I don't mean keeping... to criticize the bureaucrats. Of course, mm. they don't have any say in a lot of this, mm. really. But yes, I I, I have sure. a deep respect for the civil servants who continue to work in a culture ministry under a Doug Ford government. That brings us to the segment that I'm most excited about, and that is uncovering what art Doug Ford actually likes. People manage to sort of pull pop culture opinions out of Rob Ford once every few years. But Doug Ford, there's very little this on the tough. record. He's a cipher. Uh, yeah, about what art of any sort in any medium he has any sort of particular fondness or preference for. So we did our journalistic diligence and we asked him. I wrote an email to the premier's office asking uh, a series of questions. I asked, what is Doug Ford's favorite band? What is his favorite book? What are some of his favorite movies? What was the last professional theater he saw? Does he have any favorite visual artists? And we got no response. So instead, we did our research, and we did find out a few Mm. things. We did. So when it came to books... What did we find? Well, we found that he does not like Patrick Brown's book, Take Down, no. <laughs> uh, which chronicled the political, quote, assassination of the XPC leader. Uh, I mean, the result of which was to land mm-hmm. Doug Ford the job that he has now. So, mm-hmm. um, But he said uh, of Brown's book, Ford said, I would rather have the endorsement of Kathleen Wynne than Patrick Brown. The lies in this book are disgusting. That quote should, frankly, really be on the jacket of a second edition if there is one. I mean, it should 
as it is, is literally just a Jonathan K quote. It also does not guarantee that at all is, that Ford read that book. No. Though he has written a book. That's true. Ford Nation, Two Brothers, One Vision, which is like a sight gag that you'd see sort of in the corner of the screen of some comedy is where the prop department's having a lot of fun. I found a review that Christopher Bird wrote in Torontoist uh, when the book came out that I thought was uh, pretty funny. Uh, he wrote that Doug Ford is simply not a very good writer. He indulges in cliche all the time, writes at about an eighth grade level, repeats himself frequently, and will offer any number of asides throughout the book that are mostly meaningless. That sounds about right. I mean, I, mean, that, I feel that... like you would know that's what you're getting if you bought that book. Yeah, I would, I would actually be unnerved if someone expected something different. Do we know if he likes any movies or well, Hollywood I'm, stuff? I mean, when they were when Rob and Doug Ford were in uh, Los Angeles for the Oscars in 2014, which hilarious sentence on its own. But yes. continue. Uh, but while they were there for the for uh, the Oscars, uh, Rob Ford, of course, appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Now, the previous night on Jimmy Kimmel in the post-Oscar special, Rob Ford also had a, a walk-on cameo, the joke being, oh, he was a night early, just too out of it to know what he's doing. And right, because this was at the peak of like his international fame because of yes. the crack scandal. But at the point where he could still actually legally enter the States. Kevin Spacey was the first guest on that show, and he had a couple digs at Rob Ford. And then not long after... The Fords or Doug Ford sort of tried to pick a fight with Kevin Spacey back before doing so was cool. Uh, so on episode four of their short-lived Ford Nation web series, Doug Ford went off. Jimmy is a down-to-earth guy. And let me, let me give you an example, folks. When Jimmy Kimmel was backstage there, he'd take a picture with anyone and everyone. Some folks were with us, other people we, we didn't even know. He'd go up and take pictures. And then there was this Kevin Spacey. Okay, I want to start off with saying Kevin Spacey is an incredible actor. He is. He, I, he really I, is. I've never. I don't watch movies. Like yeah. Him. So, but Rob, I wouldn't know him if I ran him over. But in, in my opinion, he's an arrogant sob, and I'll tell you the reason why. Any actor that makes a living off the people that watches shows, he wouldn't take a picture with anyone. We were told you can't take a picture and you can't speak to him. Who does this character think he is? He goes on the show and he changes on a dime. Like on a dime. It's unbelievable. It's so enjoyable. Such a perfect 90, uh, 1 minute and 28 seconds. But it obviously shows a few things. One, that Doug apparently has more like of a pop culture sensibility. At least he seems to know who Kevin Spacey yes. is. I, I'm just marveling at the fact that five years later, one of them has a much better reputation than the other. Yeah, that's not, great. It's yeah, not, uh, yeah. That was yeah. unexpected. Doug Ford also did appear at a cameo in this bizarre feature film called Tirana. It opened with a Rob Ford cameo and closed with a Doug Ford cameo. And it was directed by a guy who founded the Wild Wing chain of restaurants. And I'm not sure if it actually got a theatrical release or just one screening. But in any case, has more recently been chopped up and remixed and extended into a very long YouTube web series of 20-minute episodes called Wingmen. Uh, the Rob Ford cameo is online. The Doug Ford cameo, as far as I can tell, is not yet online. Uh, but this show is a bizarre 
sort of mockumentary gangster thing that largely takes place in Toronto. It detours to New York, Las Vegas, and Croatia for some reason, and also features Paul Sorvino showing up as Uncle Polly, as well as a guy who appears on National Post Radio to offer conspiracy theories. Okay, so I mean, that's a bit where, you know, maybe we're grasping at straws here. But we did find one time when Doug Ford was actually forced, basically, to Mm. talk about art. And that was during the 2014 Toronto Toronto, mayoral campaign. Yeah, shortly after he jumped into the election, replacing his brother, uh, Doug Ford participated in an arts debate, arts vote debate uh, at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. And he you know, said he wanted Toronto to be a music city like Austin. Uh, his brother had had a trip to Austin or two, a trip or two to Austin as part of his uh, mayoralty. Uh, and he name dropped Austin city limits and Lollapalooza as things he would like to have uh, Toronto do. Yeah, he said he wanted the world's biggest music festival to be here. I guess he did mm-hmm. not predict mm-hmm. that nobody thinks music festivals are cool anymore. I mean, to what you can tell about his own taste in music, you can largely learn from, I mean, you can partly learn from what bands were at Ford Fest, uh, which, you know, were ostensibly in honor of his brother, but it was about the, the family. So, uh, and, you know, often tended toward classic rock. Usually, yeah, that was more or less what you'd get listening to Q107 or even The Edge. Well, and when we went to Ford Fest last year, there was no live band no, at all. It was just uh, his, now I guess his senior advisor in his office, DJing. Um, yeah, who would also DJ at the time, but they would, yeah, it would sort of alternate between DJs and live bands like a well-resourced wedding. Um, the Ford's radio show was also pretty heavy towards classic rock, with Doug Ford once telling Councillor Mark Grimes that he particularly liked Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It. And he's also claimed that Bob Marley's Three Little Birds was one of his and his brother's favorite songs. Although there's more reason to believe that Rob was more into reggae than Doug was. So, Jonathan, if you could bring Doug Ford to one arts event, music theater, visual art show, whatever, what would it be? What do you want to expose him Hmm. to? What piece of art would uh, you like to take Doug Ford to see? So I would want to, you know, we don't have to go far. We could sit down on a couch somewhere, and I would want him to binge watch, like, an entire season of reality TV with me, like mm. Real Housewives of New York or, like, Vanderpump Rules or one of, you know, the the really drama-filled, exciting ones. And I would let him just, like, get into such a, like, daze about it and give him all the background on, like, the drama that's happening outside with the show with the characters and you know just get him really into it so that he would sign a release form so mm. that someone could finally produce a reality TV series about his daughters Krista, Kayla, Kara mm. and Kyla which is what Ontario truly deserves out of the Fords. That is true. I mean one of them was yeah was on briefly on this MTV Canada reality show but she was a judge on it so I don't think that counts. Uh, right now, I'd love to schlep him out to Billy Elliot, the musical at Stratford, because uh, it's one of the few truly socialist mass entertainments of this century. And it's very much about a group of people 
rising up to protest uh, austerity and specifically protest a, a conservative agenda that uh, grinds them down and destroys them. Not that I expect he would get that out of it or understand that. I mean, he would probably like the dancing. I don't know. But I would like to take him to a show that explains in no uncertain terms why Margaret Thatcher was a monster uh, and give him a vision of how, how he uh, may be remembered. So that was Wag the Dog, a show about ape statuary and musical theater. I'm Allison Smith. You can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. Our producer, who bared that rain with us, is mm. Kevin Sexton, and our theme music is a remix by Nathan Burley. Much gratitude to Kevin for risking electrocution repeatedly. Uh, our podcasts exist through the support of listeners. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. And thanks to the Toronto Outdoor Art Fair for giving us this opportunity and providing us shelter until uh, the shelter could hold up no more. I won, I won, but he didn't get it dead on. Do you want to play the tapes? Counselor Thompson played it again. dead on. Big Dog Thompson, I call him, nailed it. Okay, so that's the big dog. That's for Big Dog Thompson out there. So that was a clip of Rob and Doug Ford barking along to Who Let the Dogs Out on their news talk radio show. Uh, and for some reason, when that clip was originally posted online by news talk, it did not contain the musical track. And so we just have an isolated clip of the Fords barking. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.